Again, the reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want to uh, ask you, this is a trial, so if it doesn't work in the first service, I won't do it at the other, other two. So you ready for that? You up for that? Yeah? Okay. So um, I, in this passage, there's a, a place in there, and I want you to be part of the teaching this morning. It'll help you remember what's going on here. But there's a place where Paul talks about an old glory that, or an, an old way of doing life that had a glory to it, but in comparison with a new way of doing life, the glory was, I mean, it's, it's like you can't even compare the two. So here's what I'd like. It's three examples, and I'll, you know, I've, I'll have to choose. I know it's going to be so many hands going up at the time, but, but three examples of something. Well, if you think that is glorious, then what about this? Thank you, Tyler. That's my, we'll explain that later, too. Um, so, for example, um, if you think Texas is glorious, how about Alaska? You know, you see what I'm saying here? If you think eating at McDonald's is glorious, <laughs> well, never mind. Um, if you think uh, my mother was a great cook, how about my wife? I'm getting some points here. Yeah, yeah. So those are so starting out with something that is good and, and has some glory to it, but then comparing it with something that is far surpassing in glory. So if you can think of something in that category, I'll give you a little chance later on and we'll uh, do a little audience participation thing. All right. So um, glory, as we experience it in this world, we're going to I don't know. Do you know how many times the word glory was read in that text? Twelve times. In those, in those verses, just over and over again, glory, glory. So glory is our theme, and it is something that uh, is very fleeting and fading in this world. Don't you agree? That when we, uh, and human beings, we love uh, things that shine, 
but when you look at something that shines, it usually doesn't last. And uh, so uh, one of the movies that was uh, we really enjoyed from the uh, that was nominated for an Academy Award this year was a movie called The Artist. And I don't know how many of you have seen it. And, and you have to have a little bit of uh, um, perseverance or whatever to, to get into the, the thing. There's not an action movie, guys. This is not an action movie. In fact, it's in black and white. And, and yet it won, I think, five Academy Awards. But it's a story of a, 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 a man who was the greatest star of the silent movies. But guess what happened around 1930? Silence was no, yeah, no more in the movies. And so his, his uh, glory faded. And then how that gets worked out in his life. It's, it's really a, an amazing story. If there's one person in this world... If, and I, know I, I could never be what I'm going to say right here. But if, there, if you could come into the planet and choose to be one kind of person, the, the, the person that would be lowest on my list, and I want you to hear this, especially women today, the lowest, and I mean this, I'm not just exaggerating, would be a supermodel. I would not want to be a supermodel because your identity is all tied up in your glory. And what happens to your glory? It fades. You, you become, you know, I mean, you know, so, uh, glory fades in this world. There's a book that I've uh, quoted before from um, the 1990s, a business book called Built to Last. And it's a really a good book. And it's, in fact, that book is still relevant today. It was built to last. But there are 18 companies in that, that were profiled in that book, that examples of companies that have last, lasting value, and that's measured in stock performance on Wall Street. Of those 18, approximately half of them have stumbled badly since the book was written. Things don't last in this world. And so people, and, I, and you know, that's one of the messages that you'll hear from places like, people like me, places like this, you'll hear that. You know, things don't last. Nothing lasts except the Word of God, right? Well, Paul, in this, in this uh, section here, says, uh, watch out. Religion can also not last. And uh, he's pointing that out here. Beware of where you put your weight down when you talk about religion, because there is a religion that fades. And most religions fade. They do not last, is what Paul is, is saying here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim, and I'm, I'm going to try to make the claim, uh, and you've heard me say this before, that human beings were meant for glory. There's a, a false uh, way of, uh, of talking about human beings that says we, we, we aren't to have any glory. Only God should have glory. No, God wants to share his glory with us. The problem isn't that we have glory. This, the problem is the source of the glory, where we get our glory from. And so uh, human beings are meant for glory. You, I don't care who you are, what your label is, what your identity is, you are intended to have a glory about you, a shine about you. We're going to be talking about this in the, over the next few weeks. And we, as we get into chapter 4, Paul talks about the weight of glory that we can't hardly sustain. So if that's true, if human beings are meant to be, uh, in some sense, glorious, how, how, does, that, how does that work? And um, if we could discover the key to that one, it might just change our lives. Because it's the key to transformation as well. When you discover out where the source of glory is, you'll discover out the way you can change your life. And if there's something in your life that you would like to change, then you have hope. So let's go on this little deal. I'd like to start with um, the whole Bible. How's that? <laughs> the whole Bible. I love it when I get a chance to, pre to do the whole thing, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And uh, 
everything in between. So we're going to do that in about five minutes. You ready? Put your seatbelts on. Some of you get car sick. Well, you know, get the bag in front of you there. Uh, I'm going to uh, use the uh, little PowerPoint. Human beings are created for glory. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, it says that human beings are created in the image of who? Of God. In the image of God. Is God glorious? The right answer is, of course. Of course he's glorious. And so, uh, remember last week, and since we live in Alaska here, icebergs. These are icebergs that are not floating in the ocean. So that almost 100% of the iceberg is above water. And there's Adam and Eve right there. Adam's the tall one. And uh, they're, they're, there's a glory to them. They're, they're not... Uh, they're just there. There's nothing hidden in them. There's no guile. There's nothing shameful to cover up. There's no fears and pride that is, is ruining their lives. But when we get to chapter 3, human glory is greatly diminished, and then we go to this kind of an iceberg. This is us. This is us. And we, we try to look good on the top, but most of us underneath are filled with alienation from God and with each other, and we live in this swirl of fear and pride and idolatry and alienation, all the rest. It's not good. It's not pretty. But God, in his mercy, God wants to restore uh, human glory. He wants to do that. And he he does that with uh, a, a man named Abraham. So we're in Genesis chapter 12 now. He begins the the, the process of, of, of that going somewhere where glory is going to be restored. And he calls that man Abraham out of others. And he says, I'm going to work with you, bud. I'm paraphrasing here. I'm going to work with you and we're going to build a nation that is going to bring glory. You're going, you're going to reflect my glory. We're going to restore the image of God in you. And so that nation becomes Israel and they end up in Egypt. And oh, it looks horrible. But after 400 years, Moses, this uh, leader, is called to raise these people. They go out through this miracle, the parting of the Red Sea. They go out, and and they're heading for the promised land. This train is bound for glory, this train. All right? Well, they didn't have trains then, but they were headed for the promised land. And they 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 get there to Mount Sinai because they have to take in some of the stuff that God, in other words, if you're going to be God's people on planet earth, you're going to need some boot camp, some training. This is how we're going to live. This is how God's people live so that you can shine so that other people will know that the one true God lives. So they get there and, um, and the, the law is revealed. The 10 commandments are revealed. This is how, this is how it works. And then as time goes on, <laughs> The uh, expectation through the law and the prophets grows. Part of it because the law, and the, uh, the law isn't really working. It's not, it's not changing anything. It's just making everybody feel worse. We're going to see that in the text today. And then the prophets are calling for a Messiah, a new way of experiencing God. And in that, we have the fulfillment through Jesus Christ. So what was expected in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is all about expectation. The New Testament is all about fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we don't stop there, we'll just keep going right on through. All creation longs for the glory to be restored. We find that in Romans chapter 8. And then the revelation of Jesus Christ in the new creation, humans, and the full revelation of Jesus Christ. It is, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the newspapers at the end. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it ends with him glorified and with a new heavens and a new earth. And so God, where we started, humans are created for glory. Human beings end up in glory or the other place. I mean, we don't have to talk about that. 
So there's the... Did you make it through the whole Bible in five minutes with me? Okay, all right. So at the end, if we were to use the iceberg illustration, isn't that pretty? That's, a, that's an iceberg with a sunset on it. That's what a human being might look like. That's what we intended, intended to look like. And yet we live in that other place right now. But that's our future. Something like that. Some of you are saying, he's sure got a fetish for icebergs. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. All right. So let's get into the text. That's the overview. And this text fits in right in the middle of that story. Uh, Moses, 1,500 years before Christ, in doing this basic training that we were talking about, uh, he wants the people to regain the glory that was lost. God wants that. And he uses the approach that most people have used. It's a religious approach, approach called behavior modification. Just live differently. And so the Ten Commandments and the law are commandments there for the people to observe. They reveal something good and wonderful, the character and the will of God. But there's a problem. And we'll see what that is here in a second. Verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death was engraved in letters on stone, if that, that ministry came with glory, so that we're going to... This is public. This ministry that brought death came with glory so that the Israelites, they couldn't look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. Okay. So we have to go back to Exodus chapter 34. And we aren't going to read from it, but if you went back there, what you would find is that Moses has been with God. God has given him two stone tablets. And how many commandments are on each of the two stone tablets? This is your math test. Can you hold up your hand? Five on each one, right? Five commandments on one. Five. On these stone tablets, he brings them down the mountain to the people of Israel to tell them. This is the second time because the first time things didn't work out at all. That was the golden calf thing, which I talked about last week. So this is the second time he brings them down, the tablets. And when he comes down... What is happening to his face? I, it's hard to explain it, but there's some kind of a glory that he gets from his face. So this is my, you wondered why this was here. I'm supposed to do this very carefully or the whole thing will fall over. Okay, there was a, that's Moses right there. That's what he looked like. We, we, we've resurrected Moses right there. Now, uh, what happened was... He had been with God with an unveiled face. So he was just, and God spoke to him, and just being in God's presence created a radiant, uh, the literal, the Hebrew is something like there were beams of light emitting from his face. Now that's kind of weird. So he walks down the mountain, and it says that, that the people, or that he was not even aware that his face was glow, glowing. Now, who is it that tells you, uh, men, when there's something about you that you need to know that you don't, you know, you're not even aware of. Yeah, Mrs. Moses. Or your mom, whoever. Uh, so, yeah, you got, you know, your, your shirt's on inside out, your pants are on backwards, whatever it is. You got shoes on, wrong socks, you know, they let you know. And so, apparently, it doesn't t tell you that in the story. All it tells you is that Moses, just so he could be around the people, he had to veil it. This, this is actually... Uh, 
It's a scarf that I bought my wife in Israel. Yeah. And so it has a little bit of validity that way. But he would veil his face so that the people could look upon him without being afraid. And then he would go back and meet with God because what happened when he was away from God, the, the glory sort of went like this. But he still veiled his face. And then he went back to uh, God and then things got recharged. Ooh, it kind of works with us somehow. You know, you, you're around God, things get recharged. You know, you lived 120 years. People say, how can you live 120 years? Well, when you're around God, you live longer. Just think of the energy that would have come to him. You could get a suntan just by standing next to Moses. I'm going beyond the Bible here, but that's, that's, so just, I want you to see that he would, when he already talked to the people, when he came down, he had to cover his face so that the people who um, struggled with their own um, sense of holiness and being right, um, so that they could listen to Moses and be in his presence. All right. Two things that Paul says here, and I've already mentioned them, we need to hold them together. One is that this, this law, this old covenant, this telling of right and wrong brought, had a glory to it, which you can see in the light, but it also brought death. And now, how is that? The law, the Ten Commandments, were really, really good. They are good today. They are still the Ten Commandments. But the problem with the Ten Commandments, there's a fatal flaw, and it's not with the Ten Commandments, really, it's with us, is that when you hear the commandments, you just don't automatically do them, do you? No. I mean, just think about yourself. So um, there's no power in, there's no, here's, here's the way, it, there's no way that the Ten Commandments in and of themselves will change you. They reveal something good, God's character and will, but they have no transforming power. That is the fatal flaw of the law that Paul is pointing out here. So the law is good, but it's not powerful. It can't do, it can't change you. You're not going to get your glory restored through the law. And thus it fades, even on Moses' face as he brings the law. Okay, so now we come to that place where you can be in this message. And by the way, this is taped. Or these, these are podcasts. So you can be all over the world, uh, like I am. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, okay, so does anybody have... Uh, here's, the, here's the basic formula. Yeah, well, that's great. That has some glory to it. But even more is this. That's the basic formula here. Anybody got one? Oh, Steve Gordon. Come on. Here, I've got to... got to share this. This is Steve Gordon, good friend of mine with... Uh, men's ministry stuff. The moon is great, but the sun's better. Oh, that's good. That's good. That is good. Although, did you see the supermoon recently? I mean, you know, there's it's always that. Uh, okay, Marty, um, I've got this for you. So, Mark, fishing in Washington is good, <laughs> but fishing in Alaska is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cry me a river. Yeah. Ooh, that hurts. Okay, one more. Anybody else? Okay, Debbie. Uh, a mother on Mother's Day. How appropriate. 
Baldy is great, but McKinley yes. is amazing. Now that's, there you go. I, yeah, I was thinking of that very, very thing. And Baldy is great. If you've ever been up there, there's lots of glory to behold. But when you, well, I, I haven't been up on Denali, but I assume that, that it's much more glorious if you live. All right. Uh, okay. But you get the idea. And so what Paul is saying here, and let me read these verses to you is that uh, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious than that of the, the tablets that came on stone? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, because the law does condemn us, doesn't it? It makes us feel bad when we don't get it. If that ministry condemns us, um, and if it, it is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? See, it has power. This new thing, it's not just about telling you what's right and wrong. It gives you the power to do something about it. This is the Spirit. This is the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10. For what was glorious had no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? See, it, it doesn't end. It just keeps going. Well, there's Paul's uh, point. Now, what I want to do is pause for a minute and go back to that particular iceberg and, and look in there and see uh, some of the stuff we said last week is that what, what the old way of doing things was, was working on that top part, the part that everyone can see, that every ship going by can see. And I'm of the theory that for most of us, we're, I'm seeing about 10% of you when I'm seeing you. Now, and that doesn't mean just physically, but the whole person. That most of you, human beings are amazingly deep and complex, are we not? Fearfully and wonderfully made, but also really, really, really deep and dark. And so uh, we tend to focus on that which other people can see, which is a form, obviously, well, often at least, it's a form of, of um, covering up or expressing our fears and our pride in ways that are socially appropriate. This is the world we live in. So what Jesus does is he comes. This is the new now. He comes and he messes with the formula and he says, if you're going to have glory, that's not glory. Remember the iceberg I showed you that had glory? There were actually a couple of different ones, but the, the last one in particular. That's not glory, Jesus says. i got something way better. But if we're going to get to glory, we've got to deal with all that underground stuff. We're going to have to deal with your fears and your pride and your self-absorption and your alienation from people and from God. You've got to get over some stuff. I'm going to have to come in and do some work in you. Because it's not, folks. It is not all about the top. It's not for me. And I'm up here in front of you trying to look as good as I can. And it is not about that, how, how good you look stuff. I sense a moment for parenting. So I always look for parenting moments. So I'm going to give you one right now. For those of you who are parents, do you tend to focus on the top or the underneath part? In, in parenting, what do you focus on? The behavior, which everybody can see, or the heart issues that, as a parent, you understand your children's heart better than anybody. What is it? 
You know, when, since it's Mother's Day, I'll tell a story of my mom. We were actually, this is really funny. We were going to church, and my mom was somebody, we were on our way to church in the car, and my mom was always someone who, who for whatever reason, she would say, and I think it's only appropriate for boys, at least in those days, because girls always wore dresses. Anyway, no comment on that. But she said, never run with your hands in your pocket. You ever heard that one? I mean, I don't know if every mom, if there's a book that moms memorize and they all know that one, or if that's just my mom. Because I only heard it from her. Don't run with hands in your pocket. Well, on our way to church, we were watching a boy run downhill, and he fell. It was ugly. (laughs) And we weren't the good Samaritans, I guess, because we just kept on going. But then she said, see what I told you? <laughs> and we're going to church. And that's my memory of what church was about was, you know. Well, anyway, but here's here's the question for parent that you have to deal with or wrestle with as a parent. Well, let me just here. Let me put a hypothetical in front of you. If you're this morning, let's just say this morning or any Sunday. And if you've got, you know, kids that are whatever that age or maybe older and maybe it's your spouse that's not behaving well uh, but you you say to them we're going to church now I want you to behave you ever said that I want you to shape up I want you to knock it off that's my language knock it off so we're going to church now so where's the focus there or have you ever thought of saying this which would be way more appropriate we're going to church now so that we can learn how much God loves us when we're not behaving well. <laughs> That's what we ought to... I mean, we need to preach that to ourselves, do we not? That's the gospel. We're going to church now so that we can find out how God loves people who don't get it right all the time, who, get, who don't do well in school, who don't make the sports teams, who don't do well in scouting, all the, whatever it is, they don't perform well. Morally, they're failing. We're going to find out how much God loves people like that. Now, which are you? Which are you? Which are you? Look in your heart. Look in your heart and say, I am what? (laughs) Am I a behavioralist or am I a heart person? Because Jesus Christ is interested in changing your heart, which will then change your behavior so that you will want to do the right thing and you will no longer run with your hands in your pants or whatever. That's not really moral. (laughs) Yeah, nice try. Yeah. But you see, now, so one of my favorite sayings to parents who focus on behavior too much, and in in a middle class American system, that's the way we tend to focus, folks. That's what we get brought up on. That's the air we breathe, the water we drink. And... You, you know, Walker Percy said it, but I borrowed it from him regularly. You can get all A's and flunk life. And I can look back on my life and see people who got all A's and who have flunked life. I went to my class reunion this last summer, you know. There's a lot of that going on there. And there were people who got all F's and have found life. Jesus messes with the math. And if you don't think he messes with the math, remember that he lived his life perfectly in, in, a glo- in what we could say, okay, there should have been a glory. When you live your life perfectly, there should have been a glory there. But he, there's no less glorious place to die than the cross. Now, that messes with you. So, it's, you know, all I'm saying is Jesus 
changes the way he, he upsets the way we think. And he wants to get into that lower part and set things right. Gets them at the glory of God, the transforming power of God in there. All right. Veil. The second paragraph here is about the veil. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Paul is saying we're very open. We're very bold. We don't need a veil anymore. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Remember, I've already told you about that. And the, the reason it was fading away was because, well, the reason he veiled it, the reason it was fading away is because it, it wasn't lasting, but the reason he veiled it was because the people were afraid of him because he, he was like, he was kind of holy and he, he spoke for God, and, and that was intimidating to them. So he covered his face, but then it was fading. And so they didn't, he didn't, I don't think he wanted them to see that it was fading so that they wouldn't get discouraged. And they, I mean, it's hard to say what all was going on there, but it was fading. Paul says that there's something that's happened here, that the veil is now not over Moses' face, but the veil is covering people's minds. He says, but their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. So when the, the Ten Commandments are read, there's a veil that is over the face or over the hearts of the people who are hearing it. And then he says, it has not been removed because only Christ, only in Christ is it taken away. Christ is the only one that can remove that veil. He removed that veil in my life. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Ah, oh, okay. So we have, I want to tell you the, the, a little quick story. And many of you know this person, but because she was raised Jewish and because um, she's no longer um, geographically with us, but I, I contacted Stacy, um, Stacy Solomon Pratt. She was raised Stacy Solomon on the East Coast as a Jew and came here in 2004 as a Jew and with her husband who was raised Lutheran and they were neither one of them were practicing what they were raised in at that time and but Stacy came and uh, I got permission to share this story a, a little you, you probably heard it some of you anyway but she came and then began to um, her there was a spiritual curiosity and some of you today that's where you're at you have spiritual curiosity and you haven't moved beyond that well, we're glad you're here. We're glad that you have that curiosity. That's from God. I believe the Holy Spirit is whispering to you. It's not the place you want to stay, but it's a good place to be on the way to someplace else. So she had that, and then she had a friend who just loved her dearly, and uh, who, who actually wasn't part of this church, but another church. And this friend just kept meeting with her and saying, you know, Stacy, you know, Jesus loves you. He loves, he loves Jewish people. In fact, he was Jewish, you remember? You know, and all that. And, and she would uh, walk with her through the, some Bible stuff. Well, all of that created in Stacy a great tension that many of us have felt if we've come to Christ as adults, whether we're Jewish or not. And that is that you're starting to feel the pull. So it's not just curiosity, but I mean, curiosity seems to be coming from you. But then there's this pull that comes from this gravitational force that is coming from somewhere else. And you, you start to and you think, I don't know if I want to go there. That's scary. What are my parents going to think? What are my friends going to think? That's a scare that creates a lot of tension in your life. And that's exactly where she was 
with that tension in her life. And it was like the veil was over her heart and she's kept from seeing Christ, but she wants to um, peek, <laughs> is how I'd say it. I mean, haven't you, I mean, come on now. If there's a curtain there and you think there's something valuable behind it, wouldn't you want to peek? And so she begins to peek. And then it creates more tension. And then she begins to uh, realize that if she's going to ever accept Christ as the Messiah, it's going to have to be because Moses said something about it in the Old Testament. The Torah, the law that we've been talking about here. And Moses, in fact, and she found it in Deuteronomy. And I I can't remember the passage, but she found that at least for her heart, the veil was lifted and Christ was made known to her. And now... Yeah, and she's a, she's a work in progress like all of us, but now she has a, a glory that is being produced in her. She's being transformed. Folks, this happens. Now, if then what happened was her husband, the, the Lutheran uh, guy lagging around behind her, I, I, he, he, uh, in this very room, he said, I want, I want Christ. I want what my wife has. I want, my, I want whatever she's got. I want that. He didn't know how to say it. So he he received Christ. The veil was lifted from his heart. We all have veils. Jewish, non-Jew, it doesn't matter. We have veils. We have stuff that keeps us from allowing Jesus. It's, I mean, he's, he's the one we have to see, but we can't see him because we veil him. And only he can lift the veil, but we have to want to walk towards him. All of that stuff has to happen. But if you're here today and your heart is veiled, you can just let him lift the veil. Say, Lord, lift the veil. I want to see. I want to see you. I want to see the source of glory. I want to see that glory that lasts, that will never end, because all the other glory in this world is passing away. And so we come to verse 18. This is uh, one of the great transformation verses in the Scripture, and it gets us right back to where the whole Bible is heading. And we, Paul says, who with unveiled faces... So our faces aren't veiled... And it says in the NIV that we all reflect the Lord's glory. And that, they're, they're, they've actually changed, they've revised that. Uh, it's, the literal meaning is, is more in line with we who with unveiled faces gaze upon the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. We're gazing upon the glory of the Lord. We with unveiled faces are gazing upon the glory of the Lord. Of the Lord, we don't reflect His glory. At least, that's most commentators have come to the place where that's, that's not the right translation. It's better to say we are now able to see and gaze and contemplate the glory of the Lord. And because we can do that, we are being transformed into His likeness. The Greek word is icon, which means image, which is right back to where we were in Genesis chapter one. We're Able, we're, we're being transformed, transformed, metamorpho, morphed into. We're being changed into the image that we once lost. And then it says, with an ever-increasing glory. We're, as we do that, as we are being transformed, as we are becoming more like Jesus, guess what? If we're becoming more like Jesus, who is the glorious one, we become more glorious. That's what I, where we started. All human beings, God wants you to have glory. I'm talking about your future here. And that glory comes from the Lord. He is the source. The Holy Spirit who is the one who produces that glory in us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, may your Holy Spirit produce in us what we lack. Lord, we have no glory in ourselves. 
But as we commit our lives to you, as the veil is lifted, Lord, you in your amazing, slow, sometimes slow to us way, produce a transforming glory in us. And I pray that for each one here. And I pray, pray that whatever veils are there, Lord, that they will be lifted today. In Jesus' name, amen.